Well, good morning. This is the, I guess, third week that we're doing our, our theology class. Um, we got, I don't know, another minute or two as Caleb rolls in, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get started here, here shortly. One of the things I wanted to just kind of mention sort of in passing before we get started is I, I don't know if um, most of y'all are aware of the um, uh, Trinity Bible Media kind of podcast, YouTube channel sort of thing that uh, we got going last year. Um, basically, I took pretty much a year off from that. I haven't published anything in about a, a year or so, but I'm getting ready to do some more videos and podcasts and things of that nature. And I'd like them to be um, a little more, um, I don't know, I guess accessible or relevant. Um, the first set that I did were pretty, pretty academic and esoteric. So um, if you have any questions or thoughts or things that you would like to, to see kind of answered in that, in that format, um, let me know. Um, I'd be happy to, to, to kind of put something together. Or if it's relevant to specifically to theology, then, um, of course, we can do it in this class as well. So just get with me, you know, um, and I'll be happy in the next few weeks to, to do it there, you know, do it here as well. So, so anyway... Uh, but yeah, you know, the idea is, you know, it's, it's great to have an internet presence with, you know, biblical teaching because, you know, the internet, there are no, there are no boundaries. It, it, it's all over the world. And so, um, you know, it, it's a lot of work, but, you know, if one person in Madagascar is, you know, uh, somehow brought to faith or uh, Christ is glorified in some way, then that kind of makes it all worth it, you know, witnessing the people that we, we, we never even meet. Focus needs to be um, Trinity Bible Church, Cypress, Texas, but then, of course, the outermost parts of the world, right? All right, so with that, we will get started. As you can see, today we're going to study the, the doctrines of Scripture, and um, that doesn't mean that we're going to study all doctrines that come from Scripture, but we're actually going to study Scripture itself, and we're going to talk about what that means here in, in just a second. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for this morning and this time uh, to come together uh, to, to study your word, to, um, to learn about your word, and to um, glorify you um, in the process. Uh, Father, we love you. We trust you. I uh, pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So when we talk about Scripture, generally there are, or um, classically, there have been four uh, what we call attributes of Scripture, as you can see here. Clarity, authority, necessity, and sufficiency. And so we're going to go through each one of those, and then at the end we're going to talk a little bit about, about kind of what inspiration is. Okay. Um, the way I remember this is um, either the word cans um, or the word scan. And every time I tell some, you know, somebody asks, you know, what are the attributes of Scripture, I kind of go through that little acronym in my in my head and go through it. So you can remember it with uh, uh, clarity, authority, necessity, and sufficiency is, is you know, cans. So throw sufficiency on top and it's scan. So, all right, so first, clarity. Um, there's actually another word that in most theological texts you'll see instead of the word clarity. Does anybody know what it is? Stephen? You don't know what it is? Okay. It's called perspicuity. Okay? Now, what do you think perspicuity means? Clarity. It means clarity, right? 
but is there any word that is less perspicuous than perspicuity? It absolutely drives me crazy that we try to teach on the clarity of Scripture using a word that nobody knows what it means. So can there be anything less clear than a word like perspicuity? I hate that word. Um, so anyway, so we're going to talk about the clarity, not the perspicuity of, of Scripture. All right, so what does the doctrine say? The Bible is clear in its essential teachings and is able to reveal to humanity that which is, incom- or, sorry, that which is comprehensible to us about God, his nature, his character, and his dealings with humanity. Okay? So in other words, God is telling us about himself in a way that we can understand. Okay? We don't have to have some um, professional clergy that is somehow some kind of super intellect or superhuman uh, to explain uh, the basics of Scripture to us. We can get that by reading Scripture, um, scripture ourselves. Um, it reveals his, his nature, his character, and his dealings with, with humanity. Okay? The Bible is clear in all that is necessary for a person to know regarding his sinful state, his need for salvation, and the means of attaining that salvation through faith in Christ. Okay? And so when it comes to matters of who God is, who mankind is, and then kind of the relationship between the two in terms of sin and salvation, then um, the, the, the Bible is very clear on those matters. Okay? In, in a nutshell, uh, God um, uh, count, count, uh, Abraham believed God, and God counted it as righteousness. Okay? And so uh, salvation by grace through faith. Nothing could be more clear. So, first question, how do the following um, passages, comments, support the clarity of Scripture? Okay. This is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. It's called the Shema. Okay. Um, it's kind of it's what I think most Jews would call the core of the, of the, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this is Moses talking to to Israel. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them uh, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So how does this verse or this passage support the idea of the clarity of Scripture. Exactly. Absolutely, right. So it's, it's telling parents, teach the, this, the words that I have commanded you uh, to your children. So one is the parents have to be able to understand Scripture well enough, the words of Scripture well enough, in order to be able to communicate it to their or teach their children. And then it also has to be clear enough uh, for the children to be able to comprehend it. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm not saying that the children or the parents or anybody for that nature is going to be able to understand some of the really deep mysteries of Scripture. Okay. And we'll, we'll actually, we'll, we'll get into that here in a few minutes. 
Who's familiar with Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who, what? Meditates. I'm sorry? Does not walk in the way of sinners, nor stand in the way of the wicked, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and his law meditates day and night. Beautiful. Excellent. Um, so, what does he do? He meditates on what? The Lord, the, the law of the Lord. In other words, Scripture. So Psalm 1 is saying that blessed is the, the person who, who meditates on Scripture, who studies Scripture. So again, if, we're going to, if God is telling us to study Scripture, then we have to be able to, to understand it. Romans 15, Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And then finally, um, if you look at the various in, uh, New Testament letters, who were they addressed to? Were they addressed to the, the elite clergy of um, the various churches? Or were they addressed to the churches, to the people of the churches? They were addressed to the, the believers. They were addressed to, um, not you and I specifically, but they were addressed to the, our, our counterparts in the churches in Colossae and Roman, uh, Rome, in Romans the city of Romans, um, in Rome, in um, Corinth, all these different, um, these different places. So if it's written to individuals, into, or if it's written to a congregation, stands to reason that the congregation would be able to understand it. Okay? So does this mean that there are not things in the Bible that are difficult to understand? No. I'll be honest, there's some things that I think are probably pretty impossible to understand, okay? Um, was it last week? Yeah, last week we talked about what's called the incomprehensibility of God. And, what, what, and the idea there is that we can know God truly. Our knowledge of him is true. It's true knowledge. It's real. But it's not complete. We can't know him exhaustively. Okay, and so there's going to be things in the Bible that we're going to maybe, and, and I almost I almost wonder if there are certain things in the Bible that aren't there for the express purpose of, purpose of getting us to dive deeper. Sometimes I wonder about that because if it was a uh, just you know kind of a checklist like you find in you know Christian bookstore, um, you know principle one, two, three, four, five, why would we study it? You know, we would just be consuming the information. There would be no reason to go in and meditate and, and allow the Spirit to, to work in our hearts. Okay? Does this mean that we don't need teachers or scholars? No. Um, one of the, the offices of the, of the church is the teacher um, who um, is gifted with the, the, um, the, the, the spiritual gift of teaching and, and I feel is called to set aside time to dive deeper and understand um, some of these maybe more mysterious things, okay? And so the office of teacher um, is, you know, some people are going to spend more time on evangelism or on hospitality or on these different, um, th these different areas of the church, whereas, you know, the teacher is going to spend more time in Scripture and understanding Scripture, and so we do need teachers, scholars, pastors in order to help us to understand um, the, the Bible in a, in a deeper way. And, and it's not a matter of intellect at all. 
It's just a matter of calling and, and, and gifting, I think. So is the Bible as clear to the 21st century American as it was to the first century Jew? And if you're going to answer, give me an explanation. What do you think? Okay. That is about as noncommittal as it, as it comes. All right, go ahead. So, yes, in the sense that we, we also, as post-Pentecostal Christians, have the Holy Spirit consistent illumination of Scripture. Um, we, we have the added benefit of most of us being able to read the Scriptures for ourselves um, in our own language, but I think that there's a historical context that we have to work to understand that the first century Jew didn't have to work to understand because of their own context. So in that sense, I think the essential doctrines are still clear, but that there are certain bits of context that we have to work a little harder to get. Very very well said. That, that could be a dissertation or something. All right. By the way, if, if you're answering a question, I walk up on you. Um, I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to get the microphone closer to you. Okay. Um, and that helps with you know sermon audio and that sort of thing. So... Um, so the idea there is we're separated. We can understand Scripture, okay? But we are separated by at least 2,000 years, you know, and going back 3,500 years, if you're, or 3,400 years, if you're, if you're talking about parts of the Old Testament. Um, so we're, we're separated in time. We're separated in culture. We're separated in language, because the, the, um, what languages were the, uh, the Bible written in? Greek, Aramaic. Aramaic, right? Small parts in um, Hebrew and, and, and Aramaic, right? And so there's going to be translations from those original languages into our English, and then, you know, um, again, there's just, you know, our modern mindset is is way different than it was 2,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, or even honestly 100 years ago, and in some cases 10 years ago. But we won't go into that. Why would there be some things in the Bible that are not clear to us? Okay, let me go ahead and so who uh, if somebody can open up a Bible, we'll and actually we'll just do all three. Um, who wants to do Proverbs twenty two uh, twenty two twenty eight? Okay, Abby and Isaiah fifty five eight nine. Okay, good, Stephen and Second uh, Peter three fifteen and sixteen. Okay, excellent. All right. Abby, you were first. Proverbs 22, 28. Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Okay, do not move the ancient boundaries which your father have set. Now, let's say that Ken comes in one Memorial Day, which, you know, obviously we don't observe Memorial Day or Mother's Day or um, any of the days. But he comes in on Memorial Day and says, um, opens this text and says, do not um, move the ancient landmark that your um, fathers upset? Yeah. And he says, so, you know, this is a very biblical thing, and so we need to start celebrating Memorial Day. We need to start celebrating the, the past and our ancient heritage and, and things of that nature. And he uses uh, Proverbs 22, 28 as, as, as the text, okay? So how would you respond to something like that? It's out of context, it's out of context. okay. A little bit more? It's out of context because it's talking about specific landmarks in the land of Israel that, uh, to establish which portion of land went to which tribe. It doesn't apply to New Testament 
Christians and our holidays. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. So these landmarks weren't like memorials, okay? They weren't uh, headstones or tombs or anything like that. These landmarks that it's talking about are boundary markers, survey markers, if you will. Yes, sir. Um, Alternate translations are quite a bit different on that. Another translation is don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by previous generation. Yeah, which, which, uh, that's a new living translation. Okay, yeah. Translation, but it's more in our language and it, yeah. it makes, it brings out the meaning that, okay, it's, it's about defrauding or cheating others by moving boundaries. Right, absolutely. And so, and that's, uh, and so that's a, a, a place where, um, like a new living translation can help us out, help us to understand what it is that we're, we're looking at there. So exactly. So I think a person who moves um, the boundary marker that it's talking about here is actually guilty of, of theft, theft of land. Yes, sir. Yeah, in both translations, it's pointing to the inheritance. It's presenting the inheritance that was outlined. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Very good. Good, good, um, good points, guys. This side of the room is, is falling behind, so I'm just... Just make. All right. Who's got Isaiah 55, uh, 8 and 9? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, uh, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Right. I think we're, we're all familiar with that, that passage. And, um, you know, next, more than likely next week we're going to talk about the Trinity, and I'm probably going to lead off with that verse. And what it means is that, again, going back to what I said a little while ago, um, God is incomprehensible. We can understand him truly. We can have real knowledge of him, but we can't understand him completely. And sometimes we just have to uh, know when to say when. And so in Scripture, there are things that we will just never wrap our minds around. Okay? But we can't be frustrated by that. It's, if anything, it should drive us to our knees that... We, we worship God who is incomprehensible. Who, who in their right mind would want to worship a God that you can wrap your mind around? Is that a God worth, worth worshiping? I, I don't think so. All right. And then finally, 2 Peter three fifteen. Who, who had that? Oh, Mallory. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Right. Excellent. And so Peter is talking about Paul writing, um, writing some uh, stuff, you know, wisdom, providing wisdom, which is easy to understand, um, and then some things that are not easy to understand, that are, are difficult to understand. Again, it gets to the mysteries that we were talking about a few minutes ago. So how does this, the idea of um, clarity, jive with things like the Bible code? Have you ever heard of the Bible code? Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay. So the Bible code was, uh, man, it came out, I'm not sure when it came out. I think it was early 2000s. And what these folks did was... Um, you know, in the age of computers, of course, uh, uh, took the text, um, I, I suppose, I don't know if it's an English translation or Hebrew or, or what, but they took it and they put it in a grid, and then they started looking for words, almost like in a word search 
sort of thing. And the shape of the grid had some meaning, some significance in terms of the, the number of, of letters that went across in the rows. And so they started, you know, um, I can't think of a specific example um, in the Bible code, but if you've ever heard of Nostradamus, they did something similar with him, and there was like, uh, they found like uh, brother, assassinate, something or other, and they attributed it to, you know, it was predicting the JFK assassination, you know. Um, but that's the sort of thing that the Bible code does. Is, uh, the folks who believe in the Bible code is they believe that there are all, all of these hidden messages in the Bible and, you know, it's up to you to kind of decode it. And it appeals to our, our sense of we love riddles and mysteries and, you know, um, th- things of that nature. Um, if you ever heard of Chuck Missler, he's really into kind of not so much the Bible code, but, but that sort of thing where there's this kind of hidden meaning that you, you got to figure out. And so these folks would deny the, uh, the clarity of Scripture. So does this mean that non-believers can understand Scripture as well as believers? No. And I think, going back to what Hannah said, the way she uh, preceded her, her comment, was she said, since Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Holy Spirit. We were given the Holy Spirit to discern wisdom and so, uh, or discern the scriptures. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 through 14. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given, to us, uh, given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? Now, Stephen and I were talking about that, I think it was last, last week or the week before, we were kind of talking about this passage. And there's an element... Um, an element of faith where we, we believe what God is saying, we trust what God is saying, and then once we are able to believe, believe or trust in what God is saying, then these, um, the meaning opens up to us. Okay? If we don't trust what he's saying, if we don't believe what he's saying, um, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, then we can't really understand um, the, the truth, the, spirit, the, the scriptural truths. All right. So who denies the, the clarity of Scripture? You might want to throw what, um, I don't know, group of people? Atheists. Atheists would? Yeah, they deny pretty much everything about Scripture, except that it exists. Catholics. Okay, there you go, Catholics. Uh, Watchtower. <laughs> I think they would... Um, I think they would believe in the clarity of Scripture. They just have a really messed up interpretation of it. So, so you're only supposed to listen to the watchtower. Oh, you're only supposed to listen. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, you have to have this clergy. Yeah, anytime somebody set, this is a warning, right? Anytime somebody sets up a clergy, um, uh, a priest, a pastor, um, anybody between you and the Bible or between you and, and God or between you and Christ, um, that should, that's a warning sign. OK? 
Okay, that should be a warning sign. Um, the Reformation was what's the the big um, rally cry basically of the Reformation? Sola fide, right? So salvation by grace through faith. Okay, but just below the surface there was this idea of priesthood of the believer. And what that means is that um, the believer is able to approach God, how? Through our high priest, who is Christ. We have, basic, we have direct access to Christ, who, who is our, our high priest. Okay? The um, Roman church taught slash teaches that the church, the clergy, the pope, etc., is between you and in Christ. And so they, they um, pass out grace, whereas grace is uh, granted by the Father through the Holy Spirit. Okay? But the first denier of the clarity of Scripture, I'd say was in the garden. Yeah. Okay? Did God really say? Bringing into question God's um, you know, God's intentions. And then it, it, it can also be interpreted, can you believe God really said? You know, as if God did not have the authority to, um, to limit um, Adam and Eve. When in reality, he didn't limit them. He gave them abundance, but that's another conversation. Uh, the Roman church, we just kind of discussed that. Um, and then, yeah, because like the Roman church, they have their... Um, Magisteria, the teaching, um, teaching bureaucracy, basically, that has to interpret um, what Scripture means to kind of the rest of the world. Uh, postmoderns, you know, they have this um, idea. Some postmodern postmoderns are all over the place, right? But some postmoderns um, believe that you can't ac- actually communicate via writing because you don't really understand the intentions of the author. But how do they communicate that? They, they write it. Um, so now we're going to talk about the authority of Scripture. Any questions on clarity? Just don't call it perspicuity, all right? Falling way behind. Authority. All the words of Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. That more or less came from Wayne Grudem. I think that's a, a really good um, definition of authority. The Bible is to be received as the authoritative word of God. That is, it does not receive its authority from the church, from tradition, or any other human source. So who defines what is inspired and what is scripture? God does. When God gives us something that is um, stewarded, um, superintended by the Holy Spirit and brought through the ages, that's called Scripture. Scripture alone is the final authority of faith and life. And the Bible is not man talking about God. It is God talking to man. All right. Observations, right? So, are some parts of the Bible more authoritative than others? Who has a red-letter Bible? 
Yeah. I, I actually have a red letter Bible, right? Um, I don't want a red letter Bible. I want a black letter Bible. Um, because the idea there is I was actually in a Bible study, I don't know, probably about two months ago, another church, so don't worry, nobody you know. Um, and one of the guys made the statement um, that something that Jesus said outweighed something that, you know, somebody, uh, uh, something that Paul had said, because, um, you know, this is in red. These are the red letters. I'm interested in the red letters, right? Well, <clears throat> all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is authoritative. One part of scripture is not more authoritative than any other part, okay? Um, Jesus is not more God than the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not have more authority than the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible, working through human beings, okay? So those red letters are not any more authoritative than the other, um, the rest of scripture, I just answered that, so we'll move on to the next one. So does this mean that tradition, uh, the authority of Scripture, does it mean that church tradition is not important? Who said that? Okay. You want to give another dissertation? <laughs> Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. It's good well, to be back. Yeah, good. We observe traditions for a reason. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're all good. But if something's stuck around for 500 years, like, you know, reading the Bible in your own language, maybe it's, maybe it's for a good reason. Sometimes okay. traditions are helpful um, in our understanding and application of Scripture. Okay. Good. Very, very good. We can, we can uh, stand on the shoulders of giants going back, you know, 2,000 years, look at the way um, that... Uh, folks through the ages have interpreted scripture, applied scripture, um, taken, you know, w when we look at, I mean, there was a question that came up, I guess it was last year, right around the time of the elder retreat, and it was dealing with um, a certain very specific scenario with baptism. And we went to scripture and didn't get guidance. We weren't, you know, so we're thinking, okay, Christian liberty and so what we did was we turned to, to, to church tradition uh, to see how, uh, you know, godly men throughout the last 2,000 years um, worked this particular problem, what they wrote about it, what they thought about it. And there was, I think we found good counsel there, and we were able to make a decision on what we needed to do. All right. Um, I don't want to mention the specifics of it because that would probably take up the rest of our our time here. But, um, but tradition is, um, is a tool. It's an instrument. It's something that we need to use with discernment, but it's something that we absolutely should use. We, you know, God did not hit the reset button in 2022. Maybe he did, but anyway. Um, what authority did Jesus appeal to when he was dealing with the Pharisees? Or you could actually even say any of his adversaries, including uh, Satan. What authority did he appeal to? Go ahead. The Bible. Uh, right, exactly. He appealed to the, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, if you look at uh, when Satan was tempting, tempting him the three times, he went to Scripture every single time, didn't he? What other authority did he appeal to? He, uh, well, he appealed to himself. Yeah, there you go. Um, 
And that's one of the things that really made him so distinct from the rest, rest of the rabbis rather than being God incarnate, right? Um, the other rabbis, what they would do is they would appeal to their tradition. Um, if, if you go back to roughly 1400 B.C., when the Pentateuch, when the first five books of the Bible were written, uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, they uh, probably beginning around 6th, 7th century, something of that nature, they began to um, write, um, rabbis began to, or teachers began to look at the Torah and begin to comment on it. And they were, this became what's called oral tradition. And in many ways, um, oral tradition either corrupted or outweighed uh, scripture. And that's one of the problems that we see manifested in, in the Gospels when Jesus is interacting with, with the Pharisees. They're appealing, appealing to human tradition, giving it a very high value and even um, corrupting or overriding God's word. Um, but what they would do, the way they would do that is they would appeal to what other rabbis had said um, throughout time. And so Jesus didn't mess with any of that. He didn't ever quote a rabbi, other than maybe in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it was said, right? He would say things like that. But what he would do is when he was stating something positively, he would, he would say, but I tell you, okay? He would appeal to his own authority. Um, so he never appealed to tradition um, or any other authority other than scripture in himself. So who denies the authority of Scripture? What's going to be the first one here? Okay, it's going to be Satan in the garden. Um, you know, overriding you know, the uh, God's mandate about the, the knowledge of good and evil. Whoop. Who else? Oh, the Roman church. Um, they give some authority to, um, to Scripture. They just don't give um, ultimate authority to Scripture. Also, scripture is authoritative in the context of sacred, uh, the tradition of interpretation. So it's like it's authoritative when it's interpreted correctly, but you need the church usually to help you interpret it. Right, and that's where clarity kind of comes in. So, so you walk up to a Catholic, you know, you you don't believe the scriptures are authoritative. You're like, no, of course I believe the scriptures are authoritative. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a Catholic. Um, you know, tell me. Uh, I don't want, look. I don't. I don't want to throw stones, but I'll just. I had a uh, a friend of mine that was Roman Catholic, and he challenged my authority to teach the Bible. Who Who are you? You know, where's the apostolic authority? Kind of that sort of thing. Um, and again, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, throw stones here and um, vilify anything. But we're just. Just we have to understand that not everybody. Um, endorses the understands the authority of Scripture, and looks at it in the way that, like we do, that God intended. Right? Uh, let's see. Liberal theologians, um, actually, they'll they'll deny you know inspiration. And when I say liberal theologians, they are essentially folks that that deny um, inspiration, and so they they deny that uh, that God is the 
um, the ultimate author of, of Scripture. All right. Any questions on authority? No? Nobody's going to question authority? <laughs> See what I did there? All right. Uh, all right. Necessity. The necessity of Scripture. Can I yes, sir. Yep. How does the question of what counts as Scripture factor into the discussion of authority of Scripture? Like with the Roman Church, they have extra books that we would say are not authoritative. How do, how do you and the other elders balance this? So a quick question of canon. Um, it's funny, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do canon in this class or not. I did it in January. Um, so I, I kind of not decide you know, not to do it here. Um, I'm not going to be able to give you a full answer, but the the way the wording here is so dangerous, right? And you can help me out with it if you if you want to. Um, so, like we said a little while ago, uh, God determines what is Scripture, right? What He breathed out is Scripture. Now the question is, He did not print out a, a table of contents and send it down in PDF form, you know, for us to say, okay, you know, these are the 66 books in the Bible, and then have an appendix saying, okay, these are the ones that, that didn't make the cut, right? So we don't have anything like that. So what do we do? Well, what did we appeal to a little while ago? We, we talked a little bit about tradition, okay? Um, over a large, long period of time, uh, I believe that... Um, the Holy Spirit superintended certain works to be recognized by the church as, as canon or as, as Holy Scripture. Um, a verse that I'll, I'll turn to is um, when, and it's slightly out of context, but um, Jesus says, my, my sheep hear my voice. Okay? And I, I, I really rest on that. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, his, uh, when we read scripture, we can hear Jesus' voice in scripture. There, there is something um, over large um, periods of time, you know, 300, 400 years to, to pull the canon together, I guess about 300 years to pull the canon together, um, where uh, the church over a long, long period of time heard Jesus' voice in certain books and didn't in certain other ones. Okay, then you get into the the deuterocanonical books or the apocrypha. Um, we talked about that back in January, but there, um, yeah, back in January. But there are certain um, reasons why um, the apocrypha would not be included in our um, in our in our scripture. Does that make sense? Is that good? Yeah, you're not just being nice. Okay, okay. All right, um, and if and if. Anybody wants to talk about canon next week? We can. Um, just hoping to get to the Trinity, but um, we can we can do canon. All right. Necessity. God has revealed His own power, wisdom, kindness, and divine nature through the things that have been made. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, Romans one eighteen through what twenty two twenty three. Um, you know, God or mankind looking out and, and understanding that uh, this place had to come from somewhere. Okay, so we see His eternal power and divine attributes in the things that have been made, and those things are clearly perceived by us, but we suppress them in un- unrighteousness. 
But nature does not and cannot reveal the person and work of Christ. And so while it glorifies God, it condemns mankind, and it renders us without excuse. And so the idea there is that through creation, through general revelation, God has provided enough information about himself, enough revelation to condemn us, but not to save us. To save us requires special revelation specifically of his son. Okay? Does that make sense? Therefore, God has revealed in Scripture that which cannot be known from nature. It is this special revelation that is necessary for mankind's salvation. So do you know people who claim to know God without Scripture, and what does that look like? Any examples? Yes, ma'am. Um, I would know people who would, on Sunday morning, instead of coming to worship, would go out into nature. So they would be with God there, and taking the hike was a spiritual exercise. Right, okay. Yeah, okay, so... Um, what she was just saying is that uh, she is familiar with people that rather than go to church, they'll go out and take a hike or something and kind of, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, there's, there's a, a joke I've been wanting to tell in Sunday school for like 10 years, and I just, I can't figure out if it's irreverent, too irreverent, so I'll, I'll, I'll save it. But every time I hear something like that, that joke comes to my mind and it just cracks me up. Um, uh, so, sorry, let me, let me reset here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. So a lot of people, you know, it's, it's a, I would call that mysticism, right? Um, new agey folks are kind of into that sort of thing. And here, let, let me give you a, a kind of a concrete example of, the same sort of thing. There was, and this is the truth. I read this, you know, online, so it has to be true. Uh, no, it was a newspaper article that was a legit newspaper that I saw online, right? So um, there was, uh, uh, sorry, I still can't get that joke out of my head. Um, there was a, a, a lady um, who woke up one morning and uh, the window in her bedroom um, had the, the, the moisture, the vapor, had formed the face of Jesus. And she saw that and called, immediately called the news crew, and they came out for some reason. And she uh, interpreted Jesus' face on, made out of moisture or vapor on her window as Jesus saying, you're not a Christian, that's okay, I love you anyway. Okay. And that's exactly what was printed. Now, alongside that, there was a, a guy who <laughs> saw Jesus' face in the mold in his shower. And when he saw it, he's like, oh, this is amazing, and called his live-in girlfriend to come in and say, hey, honey, what do you think? It's Jesus, right? And they were truly inspired by seeing Jesus' face and French toast and mold and all sorts of stuff. And the, everybody's always encouraged by these things. But does... Nature, does vapor or French toast give us enough information to be saved? No. It does, actually doesn't give us any information. Um, but it's always open to wild interpretations. 
You can make out of it whatever you want to make out of it. I, I had a friend of mine when I first became a Christian. She was one of the first people that witnessed to me. And she said her and her husband were trying to um, figure out where, where they wanted to move. And they, they wanted to move to Wyoming, but they couldn't figure out... Um, no, it wasn't you guys. Um, they were uh, trying to figure out if they were going to move to Wyoming or not. So they were sitting in a restaurant, and she looks up, and there's a, a, like an Old West uh, picture up on, the, up on the wall of the restaurant, and it looked kind of like Wyoming. And she's like, that's a sign from God telling us that we should move to Wyoming. So those, sort, those are absurd, but people really do believe this sort of thing and make life and death decisions based on it, right? And what I mean by that is if you're going to look at vapor forming in the window of your apartment, your bedroom window, and make a decision that, hey, Jesus already loves me, so I don't, I don't need to bow down and worship him or repent of my sins, that's a life and death, that's more than a life and death question. And she's basing it on vapor in a window. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. It sounds similar to people that think that, um, who don't know Christ, but they pray first and they receive it, or things like that, and it's like a sign that they're right with God, or... Yeah. Right. So I, since I was, I mean, before 2004, I had been to church maybe 20 times in my life, maybe. Um, didn't understand a word of anything that I heard, didn't take anything away from it. Um, but I prayed almost every night. And I prayed that God would bless everybody in the world, and pretty much that was about it. I didn't know anything about this God that I was praying to. Um, and, you know, but when you look in Scripture, you know, you have to ask the question, does, does God hear the prayers of those who do not trust him? Let me put it another way. Does God hear the prayers of those who are not Christian? Okay, now, if you take what is a Christian, it's a person, by definition, that trusts God because we trust what he's told us. Then, if we don't trust God, then why is he going to listen to our prayers? Because if we deny Christ, we've already told him that we don't trust him. And so, the prayers are just, I don't even know what you would call them. You know, I hate to be harsh, but that's it's kind of, kind of, you know, well, it's not kind of the way it is. It is the way it is. One sec, you, Jen? Well, I was just going to ask you if there's anything to the fact that there is no time with God. So clearly God has chosen you, Fred. In 2004, you didn't know what you know now. You weren't aware of the fact that he was going to draw you to himself. But clearly he had preserved you to that so that he would save you. So was he hearing your prayers? Sort of timeless, right? Your sins are forgiven. You're chosen. You just don't have the awareness of that? Right. That is a great question. Um, started off with a great observation. God is timeless. He's eternal. He's outside of time. So he, uh, and oh, and by the way, he chose each one of us before um, uh, the creation of the world, right? Before the, the foundation of the world. And so, you know, the question is, does God hear the prayers of the unrighteous? I got to 
complete incomprehensibility on that. Um, I do look back from a personal experience sort of thing and say, you know, he's kind of always been there. I just didn't know who I was dealing with. Um, that could be rose-colored glasses. So I, I, you know, I have to be consistent, right? Um, but if that set, well, it gets complicated after that. But I have to, I have to plead the incomprehensibility. We got a bunch of hands going up, but Hannah was next. <laughs> I was going to make a distinction um, between perhaps here or or here with some kind of authority or. That, you know, in the sense that we believe God is omniscient, he hears or is aware of all mm-hmm. of the words, thoughts, and prayers mm-hmm. of uh, believers and unbelievers. But is, is what an unbeliever considers a prayer, would it, would it meet our criteria of being perhaps a legitimate prayer or a prayer that carries any weight with God? That's more the question that we're debating. Well, um, and so um, kind of the kind of prayer would dictate that. But scripturally, we have to say who approaches God. Only Christ approaches God, and we come to God through the, to the Father through, through, through Christ. So it gets, it gets complicated because, well, I won't, I won't get into that one yet. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that, that's a, okay, good one. See, and actually I was saying one of the, the passages that complicates us a little bit is uh, Hagar. Um, we have no indication that she was uh, she was saved, but but God answered in her prayer. I actually think that she probably ended up being saved at some point, but you know, although Scripture is silent on that. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, how do you define here? I I think prayer deserves a whole lesson. It's, it's obviously it's a topic I struggle with recently because um, the whole idea of don't influence God. We don't change it. Then you have that scripture of the person, the woman who's told to keep knocking the street's door and, and so he'll do what you want. So, okay, let's just sign up. No, and, that, and that's a great topic. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll make sure we work uh, prayer in. Um, and there's a long, long history of that, um, with, at least with my circle of friends and con- con- conversing about God hearing. Uh, how God responds to, to prayer. Somebody, oh, yes, sir. I think there's an aspect of if a person is earnestly seeking God, even though they're not a believer, that mm-hmm. he will respond to their prayer. So there's, again, I, I agree with what you said, that it's an incomprehensible thing, but there are aspects of when God will hear the prayer of an unbeliever. But if we're truly seeking God, it's the Spirit working in us. And then that goes back to what Jen was saying a little while ago about God is timeless and that sort of thing, right? So um, I, 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 love this, uh, I love this conversation, by the way. I just wish it was at the beginning rather than the end because I'm kind of exhausted already. Uh, <laughs> all right, it, it, all good? Yeah, okay, cool. So have you ever talked to someone who has received a word um, from the Lord? My favorite example of this is there was a pastor um, that I used to know that was uh, moving from Tampa, Tampa, Florida. And uh, he, he came to Houston, visited you know, the church in Houston. He's trying to figure out, you know, do we move or do we not move? And all the people that knew him in Houston uh, said... Um, 
I've received a word from the Lord, and he wants you to move to Houston. And then he went back home to Tampa, and they received a word from the Lord that they, you know, they wanted him to stay. And so, um, you know, which word of the Lord, you know, how do you discern something like that? And the idea there is, is that the, the, the canon is closed. There is no more need in, in, um, uh, in additional revelation. So who denies the necessity of Scripture? Satan. Satan. All right. <laughs> yeah, he'll say, be your own God. You, you don't need Scripture. Just be, be your own God. Be the arbiter of, of good and evil. Uh, do what you want to do. Um, feel, feels good, go for it, you know. What's that? Yeah, it's my truth, my truth. Uh, philosophers, um, you know, again, I hate throwing stones, but you look at a guy like William Lane Craig, um, who, a Christian apologist, um, but he is a, he's a philosopher first, and I think he, the way I word it is, I think he's a, a philosopher who happens to be a Christian. I think he's regenerate. I mean, I'm sure he is, you know, but he's a philosopher that happens to be a Christian rather than he's a Christian who happens to be a philosopher, you know, and so um, philosophers go about um, you know, and it kind of gets into authority. They they go, they receive, they de- they determine, seek truth through either um, uh, perception, sense perception, or through rationality, through reason. Okay, and they den- generally, well, they do deny divine revelation. Um, you have a guy like again going back to William Lane Craig, who will weigh Scripture by reason and sense perception, and put put Scripture into the, into that mold, right? And that's why we have to um, we have to be careful that you know we have to um, understand the the necessity of Scripture. I guess is what I'm getting at. And then the New Age, I believe you can have direct contact with uh, whatever the divine is. Um, certainly, certainly wouldn't be the Christian God, but they don't believe that you need a, um, a book of rules in order to, uh, to know, quote-unquote, God. Mystics, basically the same as New Age. Okay, um, we're kind of out of time. So it's 10 o'clock straight up. I don't want to hit the next topic. Um, love the questions, love the comments. Sort of, that's the sort of thing that we're looking for. Um, because I think we all, um, I think we all benefit and profit from those kinds of questions and those kinds of comments and that sort of thing. Um, I am not a person who, if I think I probably had twenty-five or thirty slides, if I go through half of them, I'm totally cool with that. I would rather have a deep, a deep class where we really bring something out of it rather than make it through all my slides, right? And then. I go through them so fast that nobody remembers anything. Okay? Cool. Um, if you have any questions about what we either talked about or what you think we should talk about, um, talk to me, send me an email or a text or whatever, and I'm happy to entertain that. Cool? All righty. Stuart, do you mind? Out of mind. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Um, it reveals your character and your, your plans for us. And, and most of all, it... It reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ, that essential um, truth that brings us life. And Father, 
Uh, I thank you for um, this class and the, the deep discussion. And pray that you would take what we've learned and help us to be transformed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.